Okay, welcome back to the Feed the Game podcast. It's Beyonce.24K. Man, you can me Snapchat or Instagram, Beyonce.24K. Who we, who we in here with? Oh, yeah, this is your host for the Feed the Game podcast. This is Terrell Hill at 880-679. You can uh, reach me at uh, jpay.com. And today we're interviewing a homie, Charles Champion. Charles, let him know what's up, man. What's happening, man? This is Charles Champion, man, at uh, 878-837. And uh, you also can hit me up at jpay.com. And uh, I'm good, fam, you know what I'm saying? Just a part, just glad to be a part of, you know what I'm saying, something positive like this, you feel me? That's what's up, that's what's up. I mean, you guys have been, you know, building and chopping it, man. What what, what have I missed, man? Is there anything that you guys have been building on that uh, I can just, you know, add to? Okay, so I mean, you know, pretty much before the episode started and everything, I was chopping it up with Charles about uh, just that BET Awards and Jesse Williams speaking about uh, uh, cultural appropriation and all that. And I mean, you know, that that goes into so much type of different things, man. It, it was powerful. It was big, but you know, of course, there's there's a couple things that now I'm not gonna say that I don't like, but there's a there's also a couple things that I want to see. As a as a society as a whole as a as a um, as a culture and a movement that we're pushing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, from my perspective, you know, uh, cultural appropriation has been going on for so long that a lot of people don't understand that it takes on many forms, not even in just society, but in the prison system. I mean, you have, you know, people that run around here, whether they're white, they're Asian, they're Mexican, you know, they can't stand the African-American uh, prisoners. But lo and behold, they listen to our music. They listen to the Boosies, the Tupacs, the Snoop, the Joe Blow. They listen to all our music. They try to sound like us. They try to dress like us, but they can't stand us. So, you know, cultural appropriation, you know, has been, uh, you know, basically it took its form on many different levels. You even have fucking uh, white supremacist inmates who listen to rap. They got music all over their fucking uh, JP4 players, which is a penitentiary uh, MP3 or iPad, you know, so to say. So you have people who their ideology is consistent with Hitler himself, but if you listen to the music that they listen to on their, their, uh, their MP3 players, they have Bootsy, they have Tupac. So, you know, it's a contradiction. And it's funny when you think about it, it's people that they hate you so much, but they want to be like you so much. They want to embrace your culture so much, but they can't stand you. And it's weird how in society, you know, cultural appropriation is taking its head because, you know, everybody is getting rich off, you know, the black culture, whether it's, you know, through entertainment, whether it's through style, through trends, through music, and they're benefiting off of it, but then they're not giving back to society as far as they're not on the front lines with the, the Black Lives Matter movements. They're not on the front lines with police brutality. They're not speaking up to their Twitter followers, their Instagram followers, their Facebook followers. I mean, they're just riding the wave, getting rich off the backs of what we created for ourselves, you know, within our own society, so to say. And then, you know, they're leaving us out to dry when the matter, you know, the issues in the world, that, that hardship and struggle, where we need them the most, where we don't need them, but then we need them if they're really going to, you know, uh, say they're in love with, you know, our society and our culture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's 100. 
You know, I mean, um, speak up, champ. You know, um, it, to me, too, to also see, you know what I'm saying, our language being adopted, you know what I'm saying, our vernacular, you know, the everyday slang that we use, you know, amongst each other, you know what I'm saying, and it's becoming so popular and it's taking on, uh, it's kicking up such a way that you see it and you hear it everywhere, you know, even on, on new, newscasts. You know, you hear some of the news anchors using some of, you know what I'm saying, the vernacular that we use, you know. And there is a, a sense of, you know, willing to use and receive, you know what I'm saying, something that originated, you know what I'm saying, from our culture, but there's no acknowledgement there neither, though, you know. So I, I can definitely relate to that. Man, but, you know, my question is, what exactly is cultural appropriation? Because, I mean, what 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 is that? I mean, what when does it draw the line? Because, I mean, in a way, everybody does a little bit of cultural appropriation, I mean, if you think about it. But at the same time, it's like, what, because, like, for me, I got homies that are that are white, and they're a lot more blacker. My homies that are white are, I got homies that are Asian, I got homies, I got a lot of diverse friends. But, and they act a lot more of a certain way than a lot. I, I can't say they act black, but they act real. They're true to who they are. You know what I mean? And maybe that's what cultural appropriation is. If you're if you're true to something, and or if you're not true to it, if you're using it anyway. I don't know, but I'm saying like they act a certain way, and it's like I will never ever think they're abusing anything that they're that they're the way that they live or the way that they talk because that's really them. That's really how they live. That's really how they talk. So I can't. I don't know if that's cultural appropriation, but it's like. I, in a sense, I get what you guys are saying, though. and I see it myself. I see when people, you know, use words. I mean, is it just because it, whatever the, it's a trend, it's hot? Like, you see everybody doing dabbing, you know, that dance, you know, the dab dance, or, you know, people saying words like fleek or, you know, whatever, like the bird man put some respect on my name. Like, you see newscasts, you know, some regular-ass white people saying that or, like, whoever. I mean, what, what what do you think about that, Charles? I think, you know, I definitely don't think that it's a bad thing, you know what I'm saying, when people are adopting something that they admire or appreciate from another's culture. Like you said that, um, you know, I think probably everybody does it, you know what I'm saying. What I think is the issue is or what becomes an issue for some people or most people is that when it's not being acknowledged, you know what I mean, where this, this, this origin is not being acknowledged, it's even, you know, even maybe being ignored. You know, as though this was something that came up with you on your own when that really wasn't the case. I think that that's where the issue comes in because to some extent, one form or another, like you said, man, I think, you know, everybody borrows a little something from over here or over there or from this people or from that people. And it's a beautiful thing, you know what I'm saying, because at the end of the day, we're all of the human race. You know what I'm saying? And I think one one culture compliments another and another compliments and everyone is diverse for a reason. But when it's, you know... You're trying to make it seem like you didn't get it from here, or you're trying to make it seem like, you know what I'm saying, it's originated with you without giving, you know, your, the props and the dues, you know what I'm saying? You're always supposed to give props to those who came before you, those who laid down the path before you. Absolutely, you're supposed to. Hey, but see, the, this is the big thing about cultural appropriation, what made it something big in the news, is because people of the African community are saying, if you support our success support our struggle equally. That's where it became a problem. So it was more or less uh, Justin Timberlake, you support the fad, 
everything that comes with the high rise, the success, the prosperity, when you subtract, you know what I'm saying, or you take away from our culture, but support us in times of struggle, or support us when the cops is killing us, when they're incarcerating our kids, when they're 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 doing things to us that you know is is cruel and unusual and against you know what I'm saying the laws of humanity. Support us equally. You know what I'm saying? But bro, seconds remaining. But bro, you said Justin, but I, I feel like he does though. I mean, you you don't. I mean, you know, in my position right now, I'm not the one to say yes or no. But the reality is, is that you know. Anybody can send out a tweet and say, yeah, I support this movement versus actually being on the front lines with them and going out and donating resources or time or sweat equity. It doesn't even have to always be about donating currency and shit. You know what I'm saying? So that's what it's more about. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Hey, uh, yeah, just get right back at us, champ. Yeah, yeah. Back with the Feed the Game podcast, an interview with Charles Champion. Uh, what's up, champ, man? Uh, you know, a little bit more to give you opportunity to, you know, give your word, your wisdom, your knowledge, and, and, and offer some understanding to the world. Uh, I had a question for you. How does, uh, how do you feel having a high profile case affected you this far, as far as just living life and, and being in the prison system? Man. It's really interesting, man, because on one hand, man, it's it's been the absolute worst thing that ever happened in my life, you know what I'm saying? But I can't deny the fact that on the other hand, man, it's also been the best thing that ever happened to me. From that perspective, the best thing in, in that sense is that, you know, having my, my back against the wall the way that I had my back against the wall, man, it forced me to look at life, you know what I'm saying, for what it really, really was, you know what I'm saying? And I have to admit that I don't think that unless – you know, I had my back against the wall the way that I did, you know, I wouldn't have been able to see life be, life as clear as I did, you know. So I sat up in the county jail, man, for four years, man, fighting for my life, man, and it was truly a life-changing experience. It opened my eyes, man, to what was really important in life. You know, when you have your back against the wall like that, you know what I'm saying, all of a sudden, you know, the things that really, really matter gets pushed to the forefront and you start seeing those things that you thought that matter. And they start pushing off to the side, and you realize a lot of things that you was doing out there, a lot of things that you was believing in really didn't amount to much. So in that sense, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's been a blessing and a curse, and it's been bitter and sweet. Crazy, too, because do you feel that once you went to prison, the streets abandoned you or those close to you forgot that you still exist? Absolutely, man. You know, that was one of the first eye-openers. You know what I'm saying? When you get caught up in the jam, you know, it creates a situation for you to really see who's really, really there for you, you know? And all the people that I thought that was there, you know what I'm saying, wasn't really there the way that I believed that they would be prior to my incarceration. And so it definitely opened up my eyes. I was the first eye-opener. And then it helped me to realize that, you know what I'm saying, the ones that that I really should have been living for, you know what I'm saying, turn out to be the ones who are really, really there. Hey, I got a question for both of you guys, though. I mean, you know, on some real, it makes us believe that they were going to be there in the first place. I mean, what what is the characteristics of somebody that you that you feel like is 100% loyal? 
And then even with that, I mean, what does loyalty mean anyway? Well, you know, for, for me to speak on it, you know, the characteristics, everything is about action. I mean, you know, it's just about a relationship. You can tell a woman that you love her, but if your actions are opposite of what you say, then that love is just a word. So, you know, it really boils down to, you know, if you get put in a jam or you got time, 10 years, 20 years of life sentence, it's more or less about your actions. It's not all about money. It's about moral support. It's about being there at court dates. It's about sending me birthday cards. It's about showing me that I'm not dead. It's about showing me that, you know, when your birthday is going on in your party, I can get pictures. I can live through you. It's about just showing dedication and commitment. It's about, you know, showing people that, you know, we were out here on the streets at one point in time, whether it's friends, family, or a, a woman, that, you know, we have something real because, you know, you measure friendships, you measure relationships by how people treat you in times of hardship. You know, it could be you're in the hospital fighting for your life. It could be you're in the county jail fighting for your life, but I'm not going to know that you are really by my side and you're really my real family or my real woman, you know, a real homeboy until I'm put in a position where my life's on the line and I know if you really got my back, you know. So that's what really how you define loyalty. That's how you really define who's really in your life, you know, not because of what you may have or how you benefited them, because it was unconditional love or unconditional, you know, realism based on, you know, how I treat you when when when, you know, you're at odds, when, you know, you got the you got dealt the worst hand, you know, at the poker table and I don't advantage you because, you know what I'm saying, you ain't got a boat or you ain't got a handful of aces. You understand? So, you know, a lot of people, you know, define loyalty in so many different ways because they're looking for an excuse to justify, you know, saying their transgressions. But really, it's through action and performance. And like I said, again, it doesn't always have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be, oh, because you put $50 on my books, you're a homie. No, because a dad can give his kids money all the time, but if he spends no time with them, he's just he's just a financial father. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? He's not a father to uh, be there for him when... They had baseball games or be there for him when, you know, uh, his first tooth falls out or her first little uh, dance or play. You know, this is about memories too, bro. And that's what people don't understand. You know, it's not always about the money and shit, but, you know, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I definitely, you know what I'm saying, can second that. You know, a lot of times, you know, coming up out these streets, you know what I'm saying, coming up, being poor, you know, mom might be on drugs, you know what I'm saying, dad ain't in the picture, you know, you left to fend for yourself and you get caught up in this game and what you end up doing is you connecting with cats that come from the same background and you begin to bond, build a bond around them that revolves around that, the struggle, you know what I mean, and you begin to think that a cat is loyal to you because, you know what I'm saying, I've been out here grinding all night, you know what I'm saying, and you stay with me, bro, or when something was jumping off, you know what I'm saying, you have my back, you know what I'm saying, and so then we begin to think that, you know, that loyalty is there, you know what I'm saying, that commitment is there, you know, but really in all reality, you know, the way that some of the people who you thought was loyal to you under the circumstances in which you thought that they was loyal to you was really shallow because, it wasn't really no really serious hardship, you know. And so when you fall into a situation that it, when it gets real 
You know what I'm saying? Like my situation, for example, I was looking at the death penalty, you know what I'm saying, for killing a police officer. I'm in the worst situation possible. I'm looking at it like I'm not in the county jail for robbery. I'm not in the county jail for selling dope. You know, they're talking about they want to take my life. And all the cats that I was pushing with, you know what I'm saying, when, when it really got real, it's like, man, where's everybody at now? You know what I'm saying? And then that's when I began to realize that what I the bond that I built with a lot of individuals you know what I'm saying, wasn't on the solid ground that I thought it was. And so, you know, when you think about what defines loyalty or what makes a person loyal to you, you know what I'm saying, when you look up, you know, seconds remaining. Jail, and, you know what I'm saying, you got a bunch of cats that's not coming down to come visit you or going to go check out your mom, making sure that she all right. You know, these are the situations that really, really define who's loyal. You know what I mean? Checking on the kids, you know what I'm saying? Seeing what's up with your court date, just providing some support in any capacity, you know what I'm saying? That's when it gets real, real, you know what I'm saying? And so it took a circumstance like that to really help shape my perception of what loyalty really was. Well, that's heavy. That's heavy. I want to hit back. Okay. definitely think that, you know what I'm saying, that was a good question, no doubt. Yeah, that, that was real talk, man, that was real talk for real. Yeah, man, that was, that was a real-ass answer, bro, and it's like, like I was just saying, man, it's like, loyalty really be based on your options, man, I feel like people only as loyal as their options is, if a motherfucker ain't really doing nothing in whatever circumstances right there in front of their face, of course they're going to go with it. Of course, bro, I'm going to say I'm loyal, bro. If, if the shit pop off, man, I'm going to do it with you, but guess what? That's only there because it's, I'm only doing it because it's right there in front of my face. And I ain't have no other choice, and I ain't thinking about nothing else. But when I when, when I go away for 100 years, you know, does that continue? Are you still going to Are you still going to be there for me? Are you going to, you know, are you still going to send me a letter? Are you still going to say, what's up, man? You know, everything's good. Tell me what your family's doing, you know. Your son's growing up. Send me pictures of your kid. A lot of people ain't going to do that. And a lot of people, it's like people don't want to put the energy into doing it. It's like motherfuckers be lazy to do it. You know what I mean? They're like, man, you know, I'm going to do it, but, uh, man, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And it's like, that that gotta go do this, gotta go do that. Change from days to weeks to year to to forever. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That's a real talk. Definitely real talk. Champ, uh, man, you know, uh, is there any uh, words of wisdom that you would give to the youth? You know what I'm saying in the communities. Uh, what would it be if there was something that you know what I'm saying that you can give them based on your experiences or something that you felt that you know the youth coming up, especially the next generation or future. You know what I'm saying. Should, should, should embrace or latch on to. Man, one of the biggest things, man, that I can say I walk away from this experience is realizing that all along, you know, I had the talent. All along, I had the gifts, you know. The whole entire time, I was a sharp cat, a sharp individual, you know. But it took, you know, for this circumstance to happen for me to actually realize that. And so one of the things that I would pass on to young cats is that letting them know, you know what I'm saying, that you got already within you what it takes to succeed. You know, you have to believe in yourself, you know what I'm saying. If nobody else, you know, um, 
lets you know, you know what I'm saying, that you're great, that you, you know what I'm saying, you're worth it, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you got to really tell yourself that and just know it. That's one of the biggest things that I realized, man, that all along, you know what I'm saying, I was sharp as a razor black, didn't even know it the whole time. Yeah, that's very important, you know, for young cats especially, you know, young, 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 young men and women to understand, you know, the qualities that they have are inherent. They're, they're internal, not external. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, it's about bravado and what they look like and, you know, their image and stuff, but really, you know, their true quality, their true God-given blessings, you know, is, is inside of them. And, and, you know, some things just need to be tapped into. You know, the seed just has to be watered through ideas or through, you know, different things that they learn through education. But, you know, uh, what I feel that the youth of this day and age, you know, need to understand is that education is real important. I mean, you know, we all learn in different forms and fashions. You know, some people learn through images. Some people learn through books. Some people learn through hands-on. They just have to find what it is that, you know, they necessarily can connect with to, you know, enhance their uh, intellectual prowess, you know what I'm saying? So it's important that, you know, I don't understand why they don't pay teachers enough money because teachers are part of the reason why the next generation should, you know, evolve and progress, you know, successfully or decline or regress, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and be unsuccessful, you know. So, you know, it's important that, you know, the youth, they understand who they are. They understand, you know, their culture, their ethnicity. They start studying, you know, their background, which if it's just with uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the Black Panther Party, Africa, you know, Frederick Douglass, uh, Harriet Tubman, you know, uh, uh, reading books like Mixed Education of the Negro, you know what I'm saying, and just understanding, you know what I'm saying, more about themselves because, you know, we were talking about cultural appropriation earlier, and, you know, the funny part about it is that a reason why especially a lot of the African-American culture, why we appropriate from other cultures because we don't even know our own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we fail to realize our own culture. You know, you have Mexicans that can reach back to Mexico. You got Asians that can reach back to Asia or China or North Korea. You have uh, 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 Europeans that can reach back to all of Europe. You have, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, Usus who can reach back to Hawaii or Polynesia. You have, you know, blacks. All we can reach back to is the thought of slavery, you know? Yeah. We don't want to reach back into Africa. We're like, well, I don't want no parts of Africa. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's a problem. We have to understand that, you know, we're going to have to get beyond slavery and go all the way back into Africa and just understand, you know, who we are as a people and, and the kingdoms and, and, and a lot about, you know, our history, our real history. It's bigger than just the uh, transatlantic slave trade when we arrived on the shores of North America and, uh, 1776 is real bigger than that. So, you know, I just think the youth, you know, somebody out there, man, should just, you know, drop a jewel on them and just help them, you know what I'm saying, get the proper education and history that they need in order to, you know, become, you know, better for our future and shit. Now, I will say this, though, bro. A lot of people are starting to do that. A lot of people are becoming more conscious to what's going on. And a lot of people are actually starting digging into the roots. And, and one thing, though, is a lot of people are starting to realize, but a lot of people don't know. I mean, black people make it seem like, I'm not going to say black people, I'm going to say African um, heritage or people that are descendants from Africa are starting to realize that that we're not, just, we didn't just come over here from 
the slave trade, a lot of people make it seem like the books, the history books, and make it seem like, oh, we just got put on a boat one day, we ended up in America. People got to realize, I mean, even with China, like, people were coming to this continent to to the Americas before Europeans were even coming to the Americas. You got to even look at, like, like I said, with China or, like, even with, like, the Moors. Like, everybody knows who the Moors are. If you don't know who the Moors are, you just got to do research on them. But these are, these are... African descendants, our African heritage, our, our ancestors from Africa coming over here, conquering, doing a lot of stuff, traveling all around the world before even Europeans touched the Americas. And, and you know, a lot of a lot of African descendants lived in the Americas before slavery even impacted the Americas. So, you know, I will say that, though, you know. And so, and I, and I definitely appreciate every time I cross paths with another African descendant that, you know, that we chalk game about stuff like that. Because one thing that does piss me off is a, a lot of people in America, in North America right now, or United States, I would say, always relates black people or, you know, African descendants back to just slavery. Like, our history just started at that. Like, we just woke up one day and we were all slaves. Like, you know, a lot of people do that, but a lot of people are actually waking up to what's really going on. That's important, you know, and uh, to end that part of the discussion, you know, I advise people to read a book called They Came Before Columbus, another book called Stolen Legacy, you know what I'm saying, and uh, another one called uh, Destruction of Black Civilization, you know, you can probably find these at your local bookstore, Amazon.com, but, uh, Jeff, I had another question for you, you know, uh, do you believe that pride and the criminal ego can derail a lot of individual success who are transitioning back into society? Absolutely, man. You know, matter of fact, right now, you know, uh, I teach this uh, reentry class. You know, what we're focusing on is helping people transition back into society. And during one of the segments in our class, you know, saying we talk about uh, pride, and there is a such thing as a, a a healthy pride and an unhealthy pride. And it's the unhealthy pride that often lands us in these type of situations, man. The unhealthy pride is unwilling to uh, accept the hand that's being lended to them. An unhealthy pride is unwilling to go a route that may not be popular by their peers, but it may be a route that will keep them out of prison. You know what I mean? An unhealthy pride is saying that I don't need no help. I can do this all by myself regardless of the means in which I have to do it. And so... Pride is a means why a lot of us is in prison because we couldn't um, let that go, you know what I mean? Or we couldn't, you know what I'm saying, look past this uh, indiscretion, you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 that's, you know, real important because a lot of people, you know, they allow their pride or what I term the criminal ego to be, you know, the reason they sabotage their future, you know, because a lot of people with pride and criminal egos feel that they know everything. They can't be told anything. So, you know, automatically you're putting on blinders and, you know what I'm saying, you're hindering your, you know, your your, your progression, you know, to the world. Because, you, you know, when you go back to society, it's very important.
important that, you know, you have an understanding for what you're up against, but if you have pride and an ego involved, then, you know, you're hindering success. You're hindering, you know, your education. You're, into, you're hindering, you know, intellectual, you know what I'm saying, prosperity. So you're not even looking for that because, obviously, you think you know it all, which you don't know nothing. So, you know, it's real important, man, that, you know, we look at these things and uh, continue to put them under a microscope in order to get better. And that's real talk, man. That's real talk because it's like, if you if you're not learning, you're dying. But uh, man, this is Deontay dot twenty four K man. What's your what's your information, champ? Tell them to get at you. Yeah, champion eight seven eight eight three seven, and uh, you can hit me up on zaypay dot com. Absolutely. Yeah, this is your other host, Terrell T Hill, eight eight zero six seven nine. You can hit me up at zaypay dot com. Beat the game.